0: to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 14th of July with me, Ian Welsh. We're always keen to get farmer voices on the podcast, particularly smallholder farmers, so I'm delighted that coming up this week we hear from Kong Bunchin, a farmer living in the Sovana Betong village in the southern cardamom region of Cambodia. He reflects on how his and his family's lives have benefited from that region's Red Plus Carbon project. And when he was in New York for Innovation Forum's Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference last month, my colleague Toby Webb spoke with Olam Agri's Jordan Lee. That's all to come. First though, it's time for a quick roundup of some sustainable business news. The ever-increasing growth of low-carbon energy solutions has led to an inevitable spike in the demand for minerals required to create batteries and photovoltaic panels such as cobalt and nickel. A newly released report from the International Energy Agency highlights a 70% increase in demand for cobalt and a 40% rise for nickel now compared with 2017. The overall market for so-called energy transition minerals reached $320 billion in 2022, and the IEA expects this to grow further and pace. Reflecting this, investment in the minerals rose 20% in 2021 and 30% in 2022. The IEA says that, contrary to general concerns that supply of the minerals will not meet demand, in fact, if all planned critical mineral projects worldwide are realised, there will be enough supply to support all current climate pledges. Whether there will be sufficient supply to meet the transition necessary is, of course, a different question. The IEA does recognise that critical challenges remain to ensure that all supply chains for the minerals are secure and sustainable. They have been characterised as volatile and dependent on only a few countries, particularly China, for production. Other important next-step innovations necessary include better recycling of existing batteries and PV panels, something that many auto sector companies and others are now addressing. A new study has shown a further impact of the ongoing drought in the western United States, a drop in the availability of hydropower from the series of hydroelectric schemes developed in the early 20th century by the US federal government, and a subsequent increase in emissions from fossil fuel-based alternatives. When rivers dry up, there is clearly less water to flow through hydroelectric turbines and less power generated. At times of high heat, there is also a spike in energy demand from air conditioning, leading grid operators to seek whatever alternatives are available. The report in the Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences compared power generation between 2011 and 2021 and found that coal and gas power stations had been increasing activity in dry months to replace lost hydropower. The study found that an extra 121 million tonnes of carbon emissions had been released over the 10 years, the equivalent of 1.3 million cars on the road for the same period. During the driest months, fossil fuel emissions from per generation increased 30% in California alone. The role of investors in driving corporate behaviour change is often debated, and carbon emissions is a frequently asked-for data point. But what about broader biodiversity? Research by think tank Planet Tracker suggests that interest in biodiversity specific data remains low from investors. Planet Tracker looked into shareholder proposals at AGMs globally between 2010 and the end of 2022, finding only 37 that related specifically to biodiversity. Climate change risks are getting more traction. In the period 2018 to 2022, there were 174 proposals relating to climate change reporting, compared to 15 relating to biodiversity. Deforestation was the most frequently referenced biodiversity term Planet Tracker found. in its analysis of AGM voting data produced by Proxy Insight. While the headline numbers are perhaps disappointing, Planet Tracker says it is confident that biodiversity proposals will increase as the investment community gets its collective head around biodiversity risks and the behaviour change that should be encouraged. As part of our ongoing From the Forest Frontline series, partnering with Everland, while I was in Cambodia recently, I had the privilege of meeting Kong Bunshin, a smallholder farmer in Savonabatang village inside the Southern Cardamom Red Plus Project area. His story is a fascinating example of how there are solutions to smallholder farmer-driven deforestation. How long have you lived
1: here? I've been living here longer than 10 years.
2: Where did you live before you came here?
1: I've been living in the Nom area.
2: Were you living in the forest?
1: Yes, in the forest.
2: How did you make your living? I cleared
1: the forest for planting crops in the orchard. I grew rice and also placed snares to capture animals.
2: And now you're able to make your living here on your beautiful farm?
1: Yes, and I have some income to support my family.
2: Can you please tell us, what do you grow here on your farm?
1: In this orchard, I grow vegetables such as chili, eggplants, corn, melon, and luffa gourd.
2: Do you have produce here that you sell at the market?
1: Yes, I sell produce at the market.
2: How have your lives changed since you came here and moved from the forest to here?
1: When I lived in the forest, it was difficult. I did not have enough to eat. And even though I could grow some crops, it was impossible to transport them to the market because there was no road and no motorbike to transport them. And there was no school for my children to study. And when I was sick, I could not get to hospital. Since I have lived here, there is a road to access and I have a motorbike to carry my vegetables to sell at the market. My children also can go to school. When we are sick, there is a hospital nearby. My living standard has improved compared to when I worked in the forest. So I would like to thank our project, Red Plus.
2: You said that you had some debt. Do you expect that your income from the farm will clear you of that debt?
1: I will be able to pay them back, but it will take a long time, maybe two to three years.
2: What was one thing you wanted to say to others across the world, what would that one thing be?
1: I appeal to all the people in Cambodia and around the world to do their best to preserve the forests. Not only for our own future, but the future of our children.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And do look out for a video version of that conversation that we'll publish in a couple of weeks. When they were at the Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel and Textiles USA conference in New York a few weeks ago, Olam Agri's Jordan Lee talked with Innovation Forum's Toby Webb about some of the sector trends that emerged during the event.
3: Well, thanks for sticking with us for two days of hard discussion. What are your takeaways from this conference?
4: The trend we're seeing in the value chain, the supply chain, and the level of interest in regenerative and sourcing and decarbonization and data collection, that trend is gaining strength and it's continuing and it's really happening quite quickly. I was at this conference in Amsterdam a few months ago and even in 60 days we've seen increased interest probably as a result of that conference and now this one.
3: And you made some interesting comments about regen and I always wonder how the idea of regen ag goes down in hard-bitten
4: commodity trading offices around the world. But you
3: seem to be quite optimistic
4: about it. I am. I think half statement, half question. In Amsterdam, I was asking if we should change the definition of success. And then when I'm here, I sort of want to follow through on that question to the panel about regenerative and does it really have the opportunity to make a difference or to be viable? And I think it does because what we're finally seeing is consumers interested in and retailers and brands interested in adding value to or basically paying for a better product. And when this time, instead of a better product being say a longer staple cotton or a a stronger cotton that makes a better product, actually in a cotton that, our production method, that is restoring soil health, sequestering carbon, and really has the opportunity to make a difference and kind of undo some of the damage traditional monocropping or agriculture has done. You know, in the past we paid producers to produce as much volume as possible for the lowest price possible. And now we're blending the need for longevity and sustainability in with that thought process. So what it looks like we're on the customer doing, we're seeing done on a small scale, an increasingly larger scale is we're paying people to invoice in soil health and production practices that will support the sustainability of not just the land, but of the individual. Meaning he's gonna be more financially successful And he has a very active interest in maintaining the health of his soil, cutting down on erosion, sequestering carbon, and being part of a solution around climate change.
3: You said this is the biggest thing you've seen in the last 20 years or so.
4: Absolutely, yeah. And
3: do your colleagues share that sentiment?
4: Not necessarily, but I think increasingly so. I mean, I would say at at our house, our opinion's probably split half and half. We all would agree 100% that it's a fantastic opportunity and it's a great program. But I would say where we disagree is whether or not it'll last and stick. But I think we all agree because what we're seeing is with increased soil health, you're seeing added biodiversity, increased yields, enhanced quality. And one example I've given people is on the panel in Amsterdam was the woman from Sheffra. When you go to Sheffra in Brazil and then you go to the neighboring farm, what you see at Sheffra in Brazil on their regenerative farm is birds and bugs and weeds and things that you can noticeably tell the difference. And so I think do think as people get the opportunity to see it in action and then get their hands around what it really entails and includes, they will come on board. The half of the people that aren't supportive of it, it's not that they're not supportive of it, they just don't know if this time it's really different. I'm confident that it is different.
3: At our Future of Food conference in Minneapolis two weeks ago, I asked some senior execs, so what really resonates internally? We talk about Regen and they said resilient ag. Yes. Right? But it's the same thing, really. It just depends on what language you want to use to get people on board, right?
4: Well, I would agree 100%. This is agriculture that's resilient, that's lasting. It adds value to the land. We're seeing people that are using regenerative agriculture I've got a farmer in Alabama who's gone from 1% organic matter to 3%. The resale value of his land has gone up as a result because it's healthier and it's more viable for more crops.
3: Should there be a drought or a heat wave? He's way more resilient as a result.
4: Way more resilient. He knows that he holds water much better. Like the Same thing in in Brazil, same thing we're seeing at regenerative farms here. The land is spongy. It's a totally different circumstance.
3: There's a great video on YouTube. I think it's white oak pastures and the farm next door. And you can just see the color of the water coming off the land. It's really quite extraordinary.
4: There's some people doing amazing things with this, and I think farmers always look across the fence at what their neighbours are doing, and when they see something that looks beneficial, I think they'll pursue it too.
3: Final question, Jordan. What do we put on the agenda more at this conference
4: next year? Well, needless to say, I was very excited about the cotton conversations, but what I hope to hear is, do we have the opportunity, or are people establishing ways or means to figure out throughout or within their supply chain ways to track and trace cotton that suits their needs? Meaning... They found a source for regenerative cotton and they're able to track and trace it into their supply chain and all the way through to the consumer so that they can share the consumer their story of how regenerative cotton is restoring soil health.
3: Well, we'll do our best to put that front and centre. Jordan Lee, thanks so much for your time today.
4: All right. Thank you, Toby. The Innovation Forum
0: website is, as ever, the place to go for all the usual analysis and interviews. Look out for some reflections from our recent Future of Food Conference series and other events coming out over the summer. Your host for the next couple of weeks will be my colleague, B. Stevenson. I'll be back at the end of the month. But that's it for now. I'm Ian Welsh, and goodbye.